God has given us his word for a purpose. Um, and we thank God for that. Let's go ahead and begin with prayer. Right where you are, I want you to bow your heads. I want you to focus on God. Uh, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for all things. We praise you because without you, God, we could absolutely do nothing. God, it was by your word that all things are made and all things exist. And we just say thank you. God, in the middle of all of our situations, circumstances, and scenarios, we say thank you because you're worthy. And God, we don't bring an attitude of complaint. We don't bring an attitude of mistrust. We don't bring an attitude, God, of just disappointment, but rather we come to you, God, with praise and thanksgiving on our hearts because through it all, you have been good. We may not have exactly what we want when we thought we should have it, Lord, but you have been good. David said, never have I seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread, Father. And I just want to thank you for being a good God. Now, as we embark on your word, we need you, God, as always, Lord. I'm, I'm not the teacher, you are. I'm not the preacher, you are. This is your word, I didn't write it, God. So if we're gonna get something, we need you to give it to us, God. So move me out the way, move us out the way, open our ears, our hearts, our minds, and Lord, speak into us what you want from for us to have today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, and praise God. Bless you all for uh, showing up. We've got people still showing up. We began something um, or continued something on last week. So to give a little context, we are, uh, the intent is to make it to Psalms 27. Now that is the book of, that is the particular uh, chapter or number of the Psalms that eventually we will make our way into. However, um, I'm sharing the screen and what you should see on the screen is a slide that simply says the book of Psalms. And um, it's that way for on purpose because uh, in the process of in the process of this um, in the process of of um, of sharing um, um, or going into the book of um, going into the the Psalms 27, um, it became necessary as the Lord was leading to start from the beginning to really go back to um, to um, to the start of it all. The word of God teaches us that God's people perish for lack of knowledge. So we wanna make sure that we have some knowledge, that we know what's going on, that we are um, uh, in tune with all of what God is saying. So last week we talked about a couple of things. We said that the book of Psalms um, had multiple authors uh, to pen them. Um, God used multiple individuals to write the Psalms. The Psalms is not uh, contrary to popular belief, is not a collection of psalms that were written um, strictly by uh, King David. Now, it's, that's um, pretty much what a lot of people have accepted or have come to accept, but that is actually not accurate. David did not write all of the psalms. We said that David came out of the tribe of Judah, he was the son of Jesse, and he was the second king of uh, Israel. And he wasn't just any king. Um, but his kingdom, or under David, the kingdom was united. Now, eventually, the kingdom would, uh, would be split up because of sin, uh, the sin of David's son, Solomon, but we'll save that for another time. We also said that Psalms are typically uh, arranged into five books, and I gave you the arrangement um, of this, and I told you that this uh, arrangement 
is not something that uh, that biblical scholars just decided that they wanted to uh, come up with. Oh, let's just divide this into five parts, five books. But we said that the numbering or this uh, division mirrors that of the Hebrew Torah and the Septuagint, which has the Hebrew Torah, um, which we know as the Pentateuch, um, which uh, consists of the first five books of uh, of the Bible. So too, the Psalms is categorized into uh, five books and the Torah and the Septuagint confirm this. We said the first grouping was between uh, Psalms 1 and uh, 41. That's the first one. Second one is Psalms 42 through 72. Third is through 73 and 89. The fourth is Psalms 90 through 106. And the fifth is 107 through uh, 50. Okay, those are the five classifications of the books. Amen. Let me add a little something new to that this week. So those are the five classifications, all right, of the books. There are also, I also told you that the Bible can be subdivided into uh, smaller divisions as well, or subdivisions. So you have those five major, but then you there are many different ways in which the Bible or the book of Psalms rather is divided or can be divided after those five books, amen. Um, we gave you uh, seven of them last week. We said the first is uh, praise. The second uh, subdivision is lament, Psalms of lament. So we've got Psalms of praise, Psalms of lament. We've got the third, Psalms of trust. We've got the fourth, psalm, uh, hymn psalms. We've got um, the fifth, uh, Psalms of thanksgiving. Uh, we've got the uh, sixth, Psalms of Wisdom, and we have the seventh, uh, which we, which are known as uh, Royal uh, Psalms. And last week we gave you examples of um, all of these we gave out. So if you don't have the uh, recording, just let me know from last week and I can give that to you and it'll go into further detail uh, uh, in, uh, into those, uh, those seven classifications. There are yet still smaller groups as well that it can be divided into, uh, but those we will not necessarily be going into uh, today. The Psalms cover a host of topics. And as we said last week in no other book, and, and I did preface it by telling you that that is my opinion and it still is my opinion. Um, in no other book is prayer and praise illustrated so well. It is illustrated in the other books. You find it absolutely throughout the entirety of Bible. You will find examples of praying. You will find examples of praising and worship and all of these different things. But there is something special, brothers and sisters, about the book of Psalms because it is a collection. And when you get into it, it is a collection where you see um, the most or uh, uh, the largest amount of these prayers and these and this praising all culminating in one spot. And that's what's so heavy and what's so beautiful about the book of Psalms. It's not like the other books where you are going through them and as you're reading through the story or through the uh, historical truth rather, as you're reading through the context of the other books, you get to a certain point within the text where you come across whoever the subject is in there, you see them praying or you see them praising. Well, Psalms is not like that. Psalms, you see it throughout the entirety of the book. You don't have to hunt and pet um, too far in order to find a, a someone praising. You're not gonna have to go too far in the book of Psalms 
in order to find someone uh, praying or worshiping and giving thanks to God. It's all throughout. And that's what's so wonderful about it. God literally shows us examples in the book of Psalm of effective prayer and how to come before him with praise. Amen. Praise the Lord. We know as children of God, for those of you who have been uh, saved and who are on the Lord's side, you've been water baptized, you've been filled with the spirit of God. So you've gone through what the Bible says. So you are saved according to Acts 2.38. You are saved. You don't have no knockoff salvation. And I use that as a term to mean that you don't have a salvation that you based off of goosebumps or some other kind of feeling. No, your salvation has to be founded and has to stand on something strong enough to support it. It cannot stand. I want you to hear me well. Your salvation cannot stand on your own intuition. It cannot stand on your own opinion. It cannot stand on your own reasoning. It cannot stand on your own logic. It cannot stand on your own interpretation. Salvation, because you got to understand your soul is at stake. And when it comes to your soul, you don't play around with that. Now, there's a whole lot of people that play around with the state of their soul. But if there's one thing in this world that you don't play around with, you don't play around with the state of your soul. Listen, I might not have a heaven or a hell to put you in, but you rest assured God Almighty does. He has a heaven and a hell. And whether we decide how we're going to live our life, and God gives you that opportunity, that is something that God gives to you. You have full right, full authority, or full permission to choose to live your life the way that you want to. God's going to let you do just that. But please understand something. Ezekiel chapter 18 tells us, the Lord says, behold, all souls are mine. You may have the right to do what you want to do when you want to do seemingly in, on this side, but please be advised. The word tells us that the Lord is the, God, the, is the author and the finisher of our faith. You may choose what you want to do now, but there is somebody that is going to weigh in, is going to render a final verdict. You can say, I want to do it this way. I can say, I want to do it that way. And God is polite. God's going to let you do. He's going to let me do what I want to do. But him allowing me to make the decisions that I want to make right now to live the way that I want to live and for you to make those same decisions and live the way that you want to live does not absolve God or, or remove from God the right to make a final determination based on what you choose. And that is exactly, brothers and sisters, what God is going to do. That day is coming where he will render a verdict. He will weigh in on the way that you have chosen to live. So make sure that you're choosing the right thing. When it comes to um, the book of Psalms, God literally shows us these examples of effective prayer and how to come before him with praise. In the New Testament, we learn that we come before the Lord using the name of Jesus. Now, the name of Jesus is what gives us our access. It is how you start off your, it is how we start off our prayer requests. And it is often how we end our prayer requests. Now, when you pray and when um, we, you, and when you pray before the Lord, many times, uh, many people are in the habit of starting the prayer in the name of Jesus. And some of them end in the name of Jesus. Others uh, pray uh, throughout 
in the name of Jesus, meaning that they will repeat these, that phrase. They will say in the name of Jesus. It doesn't matter where in the prayer you invoke the name of Jesus. You just need to invoke it. Because when you invoke the name of Jesus, when you declare the name of Jesus, all right, what you are doing is, is you are taking that prayer and you are separating it. You are separating it or from everything else and you are designating it unto the Lord Jesus Christ. You are eliminating, the, you're eliminating any misconception. You are ruling out any opportunity or any other type of prayer that you'd be praying to anything and anyone else. No, as soon as we say the name in the name of Jesus, that's like putting that prayer on lockdown. That's like putting it in a, in a secure room. That's that it, it doesn't belong to anybody else. When you start praying in the name of Jesus, that prayer belongs to Jesus. It belongs to God almighty. And you don't have to worry about it. No, uh -uh. when we pray in the name of Jesus, that prayer, that is like securing the channel so to speak. Imagine yourself talking um, on a channel that's open and anybody could just eavesdrop in. Anybody can just get in on. Well, when you pray and you're talking to the, in the name of Jesus, you are dedicating, you are sanctifying in a way. And sanctification simply just means to separate and to dedicate. So when we pray in the name of Jesus, we are separating that prayer and we're dedicating that prayer unto God Almighty. That doesn't belong to anybody else. Amen. So we come in the name of Jesus. And once we come in the name of Jesus, we are able to pray and we're able to talk to God about absolutely anything. Glory to God. And the Psalms give us examples of those things that we can talk about. And not just examples of those things, but how to talk about those things. You get examples of praying, of praying in troubled times. You get examples of praying and praising when things are going well. You have examples of prayer and praise that cover the entire gambit. Amen. The Psalms, we also said, are meant to be sung. Uh, turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 29, 27 through 30. 2 Chronicles chapter 29. I'm giving you a moment to get there. Verses 27 through 30. The Bible says, and Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offering upon the altar. And when the burnt offerings offering began, the song of the Lord began also with the trumpet and with the instruments ordained by David, king of Israel. Verse 28, and all the congregation worshiped and all the singers sang and the trumpeters sounded. And all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had made an end of offering, the king and all that were present with him bowed themselves and worshiped. Look at all this worship. Verse number 30. Moreover, Hezekiah, the king, and the princes commanded the Levites to sing praises unto the Lord. Notice the wording here. With the words of David and Asaph, the seer. And they sang praises with gladness and they bowed their heads and worshiped. Here you see an example, Hezekiah. So the church doors, for those of you um, who, uh, who are not aware of what's going on in this text, Hezekiah's father was wicked, all right? 
and um, and he was just out of control, closed up the church, start cutting up the things of God. This man was absolutely reckless and out of order. But as with all things, and amen to God, trouble does not last always. And let me just segue here and tell you, listen, if you're in the middle of something, doesn't matter what it is, whether it is coronavirus related or something totally different, can I tell you, and I absolutely am going to tell you, that trouble does not last always. You will get to the other side. So my brother or my sister who's listening, I want to encourage you, don't give up hope because you are one prayer away. Amen. God is going, God's already heard you. Just as he told Daniel when he was sending that prayer, that sending an answer to Daniel and the angel finally shows up in the book of Daniel and he says, prayer, he heard, the Lord heard you from the start. Glory to God. I want you to know that some of us have been praying a long time. You have been dealing with things a long time and you've been waiting on things to change a long time. But Job tells us that in all his appointed time, will he wait? And I want to encourage you, keep right on waiting. God is not hard of hearing. He's heard you from the very beginning and he is absolutely going to answer your prayer. However, Hezekiah was wicked. I mean, he has not Hezekiah, but Hezekiah's father was wicked. Hezekiah himself was righteous. And when Hezekiah came onto the scene, he righted all of those wrongs that his father did. So he reopened the church, amen, and, and reinstituted the, the praise and the worship and the sacrificing. And that's what you're reading about here in Second Chronicles chapter 29. But when you look at verse 30, you see something very interesting. He says, and moreover, Hezekiah the king and the princess commanded the Levites to sing praise unto the Lord with the words of David and of Aspha the seer. Those, my brothers and sisters, are Psalms. That's what that is referring to. You also, the Bible here calls Asaph the, uh, the seer, which reveals another element of Asaph. In the book of Psalms, we read um, Asaph and we discover that Asaph is one of the chief musicians or the chief musician of David. Amen. But you also see in here that Asaph, at least in Second Chronicles, it, you, it is also revealed that Asaph wasn't just a chief musician. Asaph was also a seer. The word seer here refers to, the word seer here is another word used in the Old Testament to represent a prophet. So when you see in the Old Testament, the word or the, the word seer, uh, you can almost, you can substitute that word for uh, prophet. So they sang and they did all of this with the words of David and Asaph, the seer or the prophet, or, and as we learn in the book of Psalms, uh, Asaph is the chief musician of God, so um, chief musician of David. So during the reopening of the house of the Lord and the reinstitution of the Lord's worship and sacrifice, we see that they sang, they sang and they praised using the words of David and Asaph. They used the Psalms. Asaph was not just a musician, but he was also a prophet or a seer. Now, what's interesting is last week I gave you a word um, it turned to Psalms 149. And when you turn to 149, Psalms 149, I want you to look at verse number one. Because they sang unto the Lord, is what we learned in Second Chronicles there. They sang unto the Lord and they used the words of David and, and Asaph. So they used the Psalms is what that is actually referring to. The Psalms, the book of Psalms is often, you know, 
referred to as uh, the hymn book of the saints. Many times uh, it, it, there, there are many places where people kind of refer to it um, as that. That's kind of a, a, almost like a nickname of, for um, the book of Psalms or kind of a term that is used to describe the Psalms because, it's a, because the Psalms were meant to be sung. But when you get to Psalms 149, verse number one, we read this, praise ye the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of the saints. Now I told you that the Psalms were divided into seven subcategories. You have praise, lament, trust, hymn, thanksgiving, wisdom, and royal. One of those segments or one of those subdivisions was hymn. These were the ones, and I gave you an example, Psalms 122. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And I gave you an example of these uh, of these uh, these particular uh, groupings and these psalms. But here, when you read verse 49 of Psalms, it says, praise ye the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song. So we have this commandment to sing this new song. And we seen in Chronicles 29, 27 through 30, that what the Levites did, what did they do? They sang the words of David and Asaph the seer. Now I want you to lock in on that because of the seven different categories of the book of Psalms, only one of them is specifically designated as him. There's only one out of the seven as him. Yet, when you read Psalms 149, look at the commandment of God. Look at what the writer is instructed to write. He says, praise you the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song, and watch this last part, and his praise in the congregation of the saints. So he says, not just a new song, but his praise in the congregation of the saints. Now, the word praise here in the Hebrew is to heal. To heal is the name of praise that's used or the word for praise that's used in that text. And what it means, it means glory. It means praise. It means songs of praise. It means praise worthy actions. It also means, um, and, and what I love, it also means offering words of homage as an act of worship. So the word praise here, when he tells you to praise, it does not just include songs. Why am I bringing that up? Because the Psalms, not all of them were simply designated as hymn songs. They were also, there were six other subdivision or sub-designations for the Psalms that fell into different categories. In other words, these were Psalms that were written to express other things, yet in God's eyes and in God's will, God wanted them to sing them all. Amen. So you have not only psalms that were specifically designed for the purpose of singing, but God wanted all of them, regardless of the classification of those psalms, to be sung. And that is revealed when you look a little bit further and you dive into the word praise that is listed in Psalms 149. It means offering words of homage as an act of worship or praiseworthy actions. So when you say this offering words of homage as an act of worship, those are all the words, whether they were, to, whether you are singing them, whether they're being spoken 
Uh uh. God wanted all of it, regardless of the classification, subclassifications. He wanted all of that to be sung. Now, in the New Testament, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 5? We're going to look at verse 17 through 19. Glory to God. In the New Testament, Ephesians 5, 17 through 19, 17. Through 19, word of God says, speaking to yourselves. Look how important the Psalms are. Bible says, speaking to yourselves in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's verse 19. Let me back up to verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding that understanding what the will of the Lord is. So we want, so we get the, the, the apostle is getting ready to disclose what God's will is. And he says, and be not drunk with wine, wherein as excess, but be ye, but be filled with the spirit. The spirit here is capitalized. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Okay. We're talking about the Holy Ghost. And he's telling you, don't be drunk with wine. So when we say drunk with wine, that's not just Listen, that's not just being drunk on natural or physical wine, but, but wine often represents the things of this world. Amen. Okay, it has a double meaning. When it says, be not drunk with wine, in this context, wine represents, when this context, now wine can have different uh, uh, representations. So it can also represent new wine, represents the Holy Ghost. But we're not talking about new wine here. We're talking about that, oh, we're talking about worldly wine. So when he says, be not drunk with wine, he's talking about both the natural wine, right? Don't just be drunk. Amen. Glory to God. But then he's also saying here, he's also using it as a metaphor here in the book of Ephesians to represent the things of this world. People today are drunk off of this world. They are so consumed. They are so enamored. They are so caught up in what this world has to offer and what this world is about. They don't take a second thought to think, think about spiritual things. They're not worried about the destination of their soul. And you know what, sad, you know, it's a sad indictment, but so were us at one point. We were just like this. There was a time. Listen, none of us came here right. We got here wrong. All have sinned and come and fallen short of the glory of God. Listen, there is none of us that stepped on this scene with it all right. The only one who did that was Jesus Christ. Glory to God. But as far as you and I, we didn't get here perfect. We got here in a fallen nature. And guess what? We still dealing with that fallen nature even today. And there was a time where we were consumed many of us with the things of this world. It just it wasn't even just natural. Yes, yeah, some of us were actually naturally drunk. Drunk out of our mind, didn't know where we was going, didn't know whether we was coming or going. Not some folks waking up in different places, don't know how you got there. Yes, the natural wine. But more so than that, this world and us at one point were drunk on the wine or the excess of this world. We were drunk on the things, and some of us are still a little tipsy because we have consumed too much of this world. Brothers and sisters, you got to sober up in the name of Jesus. You got to get your mind, you got to get your heart off of 
what this world has and you got to get it back onto the scripture. I want to remind somebody that only what you do for Christ is going to last. Listen, this world and the devil going to make sure there are no shortage of opportunities for you to get sidetracked, for me to get derailed, for me to go off in some other direction. He is going to make sure that you have no shortage of opportunities. But listen, there is coming a day when you and I are going to stand before the almighty God. And we are going, there is, listen, there is coming a conversation and we're going to have to give an account. God is going to take inventory. And I am telling you only what you and I do for Christ is going to last. Verse 19 in chapter, in Ephesians chapter, chapter five, verse 19 says, speaking to yourselves in Psalms. Look at this. Verse 17 told us to, you know, that we need to have understanding of what the will of the Lord is. So when you look at these three verses, verses 17 through 19, the apostle is getting ready to tell you what the will of God is. Brothers and sisters, many of us are struggling with understanding and knowing what the will of God is. Let me make it easy for you. Go to the scripture. See, God don't say nothing different than what he's already said. God is going to, God, the word has already been given. So what God is going to do is, is he's going to reconfirm or he's going to re-speak or he's going to re-say what he already said. You and I at times are troubled with trying to figure out what is the will of God. Listen, as long as you and I have a prayer life that is lethargic, as long as we have a prayer life that is almost and all but non-existent. As long as we have a habit of not staying in the word of God, you're going, you are going to, and I am going to, always struggle with knowing the will of God. See, many times people, when it comes to the will of God and understanding the will of God, we treat it as if something all super uh, and, and supernatural. Oh, the will of God, it's going to just fall on me. No, no, it is not. It's not going to just fall on you. God has spoken what his will is. Micah 6 and 8, oh man, he has showed thee. And what does the Lord require? He's gone into all of these things. The Lord outlines what he wants. The will of God is not hard to know. But Jesus tells us in the book of Revelation, he that hath the ear to hear, let him hear. You and I have to be willing to hear. The will of God is not something that is absent because God is not speaking. No, it is absent because we are not listening. The word of God or the will of God is present. He has spoken what he wants you to do. He has spoken what he wants me to do. The problem is, is that I'm not in that word. The problem is, is that I'm not in that prayer closet. Listen, God is not getting ready to do, listen, the book of Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun. So brothers and sisters, be it known to you, God is not getting ready. Listen, God's not getting ready to do something all brand new. No, God's going to do what he's already done. And there's a reason why he don't just do new things like that. When I say new things, God does new things in the sense that he may do something for you that, he, that he's never done or you've never experienced him doing before. That's a new thing. But it is not new in the sense 
that it has not been covered in the word. Everything that God does is covered in the word. And it is that way, why? So that you can identify him. When God does things, he does things according to the divine pattern that he's already set forth. And he does that for the purpose of identification. Why for the purpose of identification? Because by him doing what he has already done and reconfirming what he has already done, it protects you from walking into the realm of blasphemy, which is attributing those things that are of God and done by God unto Satan. That's what that real blasphemy is. That's what that unpardonable blasphemy is. All the other ones, that can be forgiven, the Bible tells us. But when it comes to that one, oh no, blasphemy against the Holy Ghost? No, 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 no. Blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is when you take what God has done and you attribute that to Satan. That's what you can't come back from. That's what that one is. And that form of blasphemy must be done from the heart. God reads the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And the person that blasphemy, that blasphemes from that heart and they blaspheme in that way, in that way, that is a one-way ticket. You're done at that point. So then God gives, God puts bumper rails or guardrails in the word or in your interactions with him. What is the guardrail? What is, are the bumper rails that God gives us in his interaction? He gives you his word. His word describes and defines what he does. You can always identify and tell whether or not God is moving, God is involved, God is in something by lining it up to the word of God. Ain't God good? God is absolutely glorious. He's thought of it all, even to the point of what you need in order to keep you going in the right direction. We balk at the will of God, lost and wandering aimlessly and always praying, God, Lord, show me your will. Lord, show me your will. Hold on, brother and sister, you got to stop praying, Lord, show me your will. And you got to start listening and obeying the will that has already been spoken. Listen, the word of God tells us that you just got to be faithful over few things and God will make you ruler over many. Now, let me break all of this down. Some of us want a word from the Lord, but the problem is, is that we want a new word. We don't want what he already said. We want him to say something new. We want him to say something unique to us. We want God to just keep right on talking. Number one, God ain't never stopping. And you read the record for yourself. God never talks just for the sake of talking. God talks, but he never runs his mouth. Glory to God. God talks, but he never runs his mouth. God never talks just for the sake of talking. So if you have an idea where you want God to speak to you, and your concept is, God, I just want you to speak to me just for the sake of speaking to me, no, he ain't going to do that. No, he's not. He didn't do that in the scripture, and he's not getting ready to do that with you. Everything that God does, you can trace it back to the spirit. You can trace it back. God's going to give you instruction, which he has in the word. And in many of you, you need to start at Micah 6 and 8. I'm telling you right now. Because the bottom line is, he's telling you, you need to do the right thing. Stop coming up with all this sideways stuff and all these other things. I've got to stop coming up with all this sideways stuff and all these other things. And I got to be obedient to what God has commanded. Listen. God wants your praise and your worship. 
but he is particular. He knows how he wants it. You can't come to God any kind of way. The Bible tells us they that worship the Lord, they got to do it what? In spirit and in truth. Last time I checked, that is a criteria. In spirit and in truth. And that simply means that when you come and worship God, you got to worship him like he is. You must worship him. When the Bible says worship him in spirit and in truth, that simply means that you and I must worship God according to his nature. Glory to God. God don't want praise and worship that is foreign to his nature because God don't bless mess. You got to be like God. And that's what this whole walk and this journey is. We're journeying. God is bringing us to the place where we're like him. Glory to God. And I, and I hope you, as you're listening, that your heart is stirred. I hope that your mind is stirred. And I hope that it's just fanning the flames that says, I want to be like him. I want to be like Jesus. Brothers and sisters, stop trying to be like David. Stop trying to be like Moses. There's no greater example in the scripture than Jesus Christ. The Bible calls him our example, meaning he's our example. There's no one better than Jesus. Don't settle for someone else who got some of it right. Settle for he who got it all right. Want to be like Jesus. So in Ephesians, verse 19 of chapter 5, says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. God says, I want you to sing. God says, I want you to make melody. And he says, I want you to use the Psalms. Glory to God. These Psalms, some of us, we are in tight situations. And I'm going to ask you rhetorically, have you pulled out the Psalms lately? Are you using the Psalms? He said, this is the will of God speaking to yourselves. What are you talking about? When you're not talking to other people, you should be talking when you're not talking to other people. But what are you talking about? Are you talking about those things that only encourage you to do the wrong thing? Are you plotting and planning on your brother and sister and walking in sin? Or are you following the will of God and speaking to yourselves in psalms? See, the psalms are designed to change your attitude. They're designed to change your mind and your mood set. They are, they are designed to alter your demeanor. The Psalms will take you out of a bad state and put you into a good one. The Psalms will take you out of a frustrating mood and give you a good mood. The Psalms will take a broke down attitude and it'll repair it. That's what the Psalms are for. But are you speaking it? Am I talking in it? Because the Psalms Got to become that song. Listen, it's a whole lot of people out there singing songs, but I am telling you, you better be careful when it comes to singing all that stuff that's going on that we call gospel and spiritual music and all that kind of stuff. Listen, even those songs got to line up to the word of God. If the songs that you look, that you look into, that you clap your hands and stomp your feet to, are not supported by the word of God, Everything that you and I do got to be founded and, and secured and standing on the word of God. He's telling you what to sing about. Are you a songwriter? 
Do you have a musical gift? Are you, have you reached a roadblock in putting together songs and melodies in your heart? Go back to the book of Psalms and get your divine inspiration because that's what it's for. They are meant to be sung. They're meant to be sung. See, we are instructed to speak to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Glory to God. God is good this morning. I don't know how you feel about it, but I almost I can't even contain my excitement for what God is doing. He tells us to sing and he tells us to praise and he tells us to worship and all of these different things. And this is this is this is this is is, is heavy because and, and let me back up here uh, just a moment. When you were in Second Chronicles and you looked at verse 30 in Second Chronicles 29 and uh and you saw that they were told, they were commanded to sing the songs, to sing the words of David and, and um, Asaph, the seer. And I told you how the word seer, um, how the word seer meant prophet as well. And, and, and you got to understand what's, 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 what, what's heavy about that. It's interesting that he says, and, the, and he told us, and not just to sing the words of David, but Asaph, the seer, or the prophet. Because the meaning of prophet or that word prophet, the sense of word prophet has its root in the word praise. Glory to God. It has its root in the word or in the meaning of worship because the prophet is also supposed to be a worshiper. And when you take and you define the senses of the meaning or the, 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 the senses of the word. Now I'm not talking about defining the actual definition but the definitions have senses and the senses of the word. In other words, in what sense are you talking? When you look at the word prophet and you, and you start breaking that, the senses of the word prophet, one of the root senses of the word for prophet is that of worship. It is that of praise. Especially when we're talking about when it comes to the service of Yahweh. Now go back to, I thought I'd just throw that in there, but back to Colossians chapter three. Verse 16, Bible says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Stop right there. The word of Christ. Some of us are letting the words of too many folk dwell in us. And it is twisting your attitude. It's corrupting your mindset. It is, it is dimming your outlook. It's causing you to be negative. It's causing you to look at things from a negative perception. The glass is always half empty. It's never half full. It's always waiting. If you, you, we, you, we pray cosmetically. We come in the name of Jesus, but our heart is not even in it at all. In other words, we don't believe that God's going to come through. We don't really believe. We're not persuaded that God's going to answer our prayers. We're just going through the motion. Where does that come from? It comes from a circumstance or a situation where the words of Christ are not dwelling in you, but the words of somebody else are. Listen, the words of this world are going to always leave you wanting more. It's going to leave you thirsty. It's going to leave you hungry. But the word of God says that of Christ that he is the bread of life. That he is that water and that fountain. And when you come to him, when you drink of these, of, the, of his waters, he said, I'm going to give you that water that when you drink of this, you're never going to thirst again. 
God gives you that bread that when you eat of that, you're not hungry anymore. All you talk about appetite suppressing. Listen, you'll be cool on all the foolishness because you don't need it. You just need God's word. 16 of Colossians chapter 3 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That word richly means that it's got to be over and abundant. Don't, not just a little bit. You reciting your prayer every now and then ain't going to work. My brother, my sister, you got to dig into that word. You got to stay in that word. You got to eat and sleep that word. That's the only way for the word to dwell richly in you. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Wait a minute. Glory to God. If the Psalms were not the will of God, then listen, I am trying to tell you the word of God. When you fast forward to the New Testament, the New Testament confirms what is written in the Old Testament and the Old Testament points to the new. This is why it is often said the Bible confirms Bible. You can't go to just all these outside resources. No, 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 no. The word of God confirms the old points to the new and the new points back to the old. They work together. It is like a, it, it perpetually. Amen. Glory to God. But when you get to Colossians and you get to chapter three, verse 16, we go into something a little bit heavier. And we're just talking about the book of Psalms, but we're using the scripture. We're using what God has given us because God wants us to know. Many of you have been using Psalms, but you haven't been using them to their maximum effectiveness because you have not totally understood. I hadn't always totally understood. And we're still learning together. So glory to God that he's given us this time that we're going through the book of Psalms. Eventually we will make it to Psalms 27, but as you can see, there really is so much meat and so much wealth of knowledge in God in the, uh, concerning the Psalms themselves that it is worth it taking the time that we're doing now to just go into the book. Verse 16 of Colossians chapter 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now notice the word, the phrase here, in all wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom really is the ability to use knowledge. Amen. Wisdom is beholding the tapestry of knowledge. So let me, um, to give you a, to give you an example of, of what wisdom is, a kind of a practical, um, a practical um, definition or way of, of looking at it. There is a difference between information or knowledge and wisdom. Now, when I say knowledge, I am using it also synonymously with information. There's a difference between wisdom and knowledge or wisdom and information. Now, we know that the Bible teaches us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We read this in the book of Proverbs, glory to God. Now, there is a difference though. There is a worldly wisdom and there is a spiritual wisdom. And, 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 and we're not going to get off into all of that. But for sake of a definition, when you deal with the difference between wisdom and knowledge, is knowledge or just if, or is just the raw information. If I give you a sequence of numbers, amen. If I give you a sequence of numbers, just straight up numbers, those numbers could mean anything. That's knowledge. That's just information. 
you now have knowledge of those numbers. You know what it is, all of them, right? You got all of these numbers. So now you have information. But guess what? Here's a problem. You have information, but how do you use it? Because I just gave you a string of numbers. I just gave you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, seven, whatever. I just gave you these numbers. It's not until you add a dash in between certain groupings, all of a sudden, this string of numbers becomes a phone number. Now I can use it a certain way. I add some other distinctive markers and it becomes a social security. I add other markers and now it becomes a dollar amount. I add other designations and it becomes this. Wisdom is the ability to use knowledge. It sets the context. Wisdom says that I know that my knowledge says my brother or my sister is hurting because of XYZ. But knowledge or wits, excuse me, knowledge says my brother is hurting. But wisdom says they're hurting because of XYZ. And because this is going on, this might not be the right time to bring this issue up. Wisdom shows you how, the when, and the where to use the knowledge that you have. Wisdom allows you to look at a situation and determine when and how to use the information. So you need both wisdom. And so he says, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, meaning that you need to be aware of the circumstances or the things that are going on. Why would he tell you that? Why would he say in all wisdom? He would tell you that because of the very next part, the instruction that he gives. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Why did he say with all wisdom in that? Why? Because he was telling you that you need to be, not only do you need the word of God dwelling or words of God dwelling in you richly. And that's what is meant by the words of Christ because Christ is God. That is who he is. Not only do you need it dwelling in you richly, my brothers and sisters, but you're also instructed to use it. How am I supposed to be using it? I'm supposed to be teaching and admonishing one another. Glory to God. See, we read in Ephesians 5, 17 through 19 that we're supposed to use it for ourselves, making melody in our heart. But see, when you get to Colossians, he's giving you another reason or another purpose for the Psalms. But he doesn't just tell you to blanketly use the Psalms. That is why he puts the guardrail in of in all wisdom. Why? Because there is a psalm, there is a spiritual song, there is one that is needed or is useful for the situation. Glory to God. He wants you to edify. He wants you to admonish one another. He wants you to teach one another to end the Psalms or to use the Psalms, but he wants you to be wise in your doing, meaning he wants you to pick the right Psalm for the right circumstance. Amen. Amen.
Isn't God just good the way he puts this all together? Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, talking about you having knowledge or you being versed in how to use what he's given you. Do you hear what I'm saying? Listen, when, when, I, am on, when I am on cloud nine, everything has been going well, and, 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 and remember, God, it's God's will that we are constantly communicating either to ourselves or teaching and admonishing one another in the Psalms. So the Psalms should be breaking forth. The praises, these, regardless of it, the Psalms should be breaking forth all the time for yourself and for and you teaching others. The Psalms should always be breaking forth. But guess what? Not every psalm is applicable to every situation. And that is what he's getting at here. Notice how God is teaching you and I how to use the psalms in all wisdom. He wants you to have this. He wants you to have the word of Christ. Why? Because the word of God was given by the spirit of God. The Bible teaches us that holy men spake as they were moved by the Spirit of God. We said this a few lessons ago. The Bible wasn't just written all willy-nilly because somebody decided I wanted to be prolific and profound. No. Holy men spake as they were moved by the Spirit of God. It means God had something to say, and he wanted somebody to hear it. And he wanted to make sure that it didn't get messed up. So he didn't even let the writers write it on their on they own. But he used men as you and I would use a pen or a pencil. Glory to God. And so he constructed and he wrote down the words so that they would be error-free, so that they would be reliable. Amen. One scripture tells us that every word of the Lord is pure. Glory to God. Every word is pure. God made sure that not only did you have his word, but he made sure that his word was purified, that it was pure, that it was untainted, that it was undefiled. Glory to God. And he wanted me and you to use those words. Now, if I'm on cloud nine and I'm totally happy, then the Psalms that I would use in that time, I'm not going to use a Psalm of, of, of lament where I'm going over sad stuff. Uh-uh, that ain't what I'm, what I'm gonna do. The songs that should be breaking forth are the songs of prayer. I ought to be saying, I will bless the Lord at, you know, at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That's Psalms 34. Glory, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's also Psalms 34. I'm gonna say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. That's Psalms 122. The praise, in other words, there is a praise or a psalm for every mood, for every situation. But if you and I are not reading the psalm, you're not going to know that. There is a prayer and a psalm for every situation. So when I am in trouble and I don't know what to do, then I can pull out Psalms 35 and I can, and I can say, Lord, you know what I'm saying, take hold of shield and buckler. And stand up for mine help. I can, I, I can take the words or the psalm that is applicable to the situation and I can use it. Verse 16 of Colossians chapter 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. 
teaching and admonishing one another. You got to discern who it is when you're taking the Psalms and you're getting ready to communicate them. You need to be in, you need the spirit of discernment working in you. You need to pay attention. You need to, in other words, you need to be wise. You need to discern what that person's circumstance is. And when you begin to teach and admonish them in the Psalms, the spirit of the Lord will help you pick the correct Psalm in order to minister to that brother or that sister. Amen. Goes on and he says, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So not only are you to admonish that person, glory to God, not only are you to instruct or teach that person in the Psalms, but you are to do it according to the individual circumstance. That's why he puts the guardrail of in all wisdom. You got to have the word dwelling with you with all wisdom. Why? So that you know how to use the word that you've been given. And he's telling you what word specifically to use. He's saying, use a song. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. And then finally, take a look at James chapter 5, verse 13. James 5 and 13. It says, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Look at the instructions. If you're going through it, afflicted means you're troubled, means you're, you're besieged with, with issues. You're afflicted. You, there's, there's turmoil. There's things going on. He said, is any among you afflicted? Look at the instruction. He said, let him pray. Let him pray. And remember when we talked about that word in praise in Psalms 149, we broke that thing down and it meant offering words of homage as an act of worship, meaning that it's not just the Psalms that were specifically designated as him to be sung, but all of them, even the Psalms that are prayers are also meant to be sung as well. And he says, offer all of that. And in verse 13 here of James chapter, uh, chapter five, the Bible says, is any among you afflicted? It says, let him pray. Now, specifically, he says, let him pray if he's afflicted. But then he says, is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Glory to God. Now, here you have it separated where it looks as though that when you are afflicted, you simply pray. But you simply pray. And that is absolutely, that is true. But what I am telling you is, is that the prayer that you pray can be a song. Glory to God. Because the Psalms also include prayers and all of them. So when you also move forward, he says, is any merry, let him sing Psalms. Not only can you use the Psalms for singing when things are good, but you can also use the Psalms in prayer. Glory to God. Is any among you afflicted, let him pray. And there are psalms that are prayers. Yet even those prayer psalms can be used to be sung. So that means really you have an extra layer. Psalms can literally be both prayed without singing and they can be prayed in the context of singing. Glory to God. 
Amen. Wow.